Choose Linux, Episode 2, for February 7th, 2019. Hello, and welcome to the show that captures the excitement of discovering Linux. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. We're back for Episode 2. We made it. And thank you, everyone. It's been great, the reaction that we've had for Episode 1. So much positive feedback. It's been almost overwhelming. Yeah, it's been incredible, the uh, the feedback we've had. Both the number, just the amount of feedback from people everywhere on Twitter and Facebook and Telegram and uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting community. And also because people are understanding what we're trying to do. They, they got it instantly that we're just trying to capture that that newness and and kind of bring back remind people what what it was like when they first dove you know dove into this rabbit hole yeah and thank you everyone for your ratings and reviews on iTunes that's really helpful there's been a bit of pushback against iTunes oh Linux and iTunes uh, the reality is that you have to be on iTunes because that is the sort of ultimate source of all podcasts and even completely free and open source podcast players scrape iTunes to get the recommendations and everything. So that's why we've been asking people to do that. So yeah, if you are using iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever, it really does help out the show if you go and rate and review. So uh, thank you everyone who's done that so far. Yeah, absolutely. And I look at it um, as as being able to possibly attract a completely new audience. Well, that's true. We don't want to just preach to the converted already, do we? We want to try and get people who are using other operating systems and bring them into the community. Right, exactly. Now, one thing we mentioned at the end of last time was your Raspberry Pi, and you said that we'd probably be talking about that. That sort of hasn't really worked out, has it? It has not. Um, However, I did manage to purchase a uh, power adapter for it. I got the official power adapter because ignorant person that I am, I had no idea it did not come with that. (laughs) So (laughs) I managed to get that just in time for us to pack up our entire apartment and move across town to something a bit nicer. So I've been sort of, uh, you know, spending the last week benchmarking on the floor and living out of boxes. So I'm not going to make the mistake of promising it for next time, but I'm going to put in a real effort <laughs> to, to crack that baby open and, and really start having some fun with it. After uh, <laughs> the Radeon 7 review is in the rearview mirror and the boxes are unpacked, we're getting very, very, very close to that. Yeah, well, as you said, no promises, but maybe next time. So that Radeon 7 that you've been testing, you can't really say much about that because you're embargoed, right? But you can talk about the process of testing it. And that's where we're going to start today with Phronics Test Suite. Yes, Phronics Test Suite and openbenchmarking.org. I guess to give people a glimpse into the habits of a, of a tech reviewer, especially maybe a you know somebody who's always doing graphics card reviews or CPU reviews or even system reviews, that process, especially for graphics cards on Windows, is very laborious. It's very monotonous. I have spent the last three or four days running, you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider at 4K, ultra-wide, 1440p, 1080p, with six different graphics cards, right? And so <laughs> it's just click, 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 wait a couple minutes, click, 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 wait a couple minutes. 
And that begins to sort of gnaw away at your sanity after a while. <laughs> it really does. And then, of course, we won't get into having to um, input all the data and create the charts and do all that analysis and all of that content production around it, making all the content and the assets for people to look at, right? So a few months after I got into Linux, I stumbled across Pharonics Test Suite. And the learning curve, Joe, I don't know if you've used it, but the learning curve coming from someone with uh, zero experience using the command line and not reviewing hardware on Linux, uh, the, the learning curve is a bit high. All right, I've never actually used it. I've never kind of seen fit to do any benchmarks. I've always just trusted other people's. You shouldn't trust other people. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> Don't trust reviewers, man. Just do it yourself, right? But that's what's, that's what's kind of cool about Pharonix Test Suite is not only the fact that it's so automated, but you can benchmark anything under the sun pretty much. I, I guess, Joe, if you haven't used it, I, I, I would have to imagine that maybe a lot of other people haven't used it in the, in the Linux community. So the basic concept of the Pharonix Test Suite is to have a completely automated, reproducible method of benchmarking any type of hardware on any distro and even on Windows uh, because there is a portion of it that does work on Windows as well. However, it doesn't work quite as reliably as it does on Linux. So imagine you want to test, I don't know, a handful of OpenGL and Vulkan games on your graphics card, right? Instead of opening up Steam and running the benchmarks manually, you can literally just type, you know, Pharonix Test Suite, benchmark, F12018, Sirius Sam BFE, and just, you know, just type a string of like eight games. And this is what it will do. It will download any dependencies that you need. It will install those games. It will present you with options. Do you want to test at this resolution? What level do you want to test? And then it will run all of those and do like three to five runs so that you have a nice uh, median of, of results, right? And then it will upload it, save the results, create charts for you, and <laughs> it does everything. It really does everything. And while it does take a while to get the hang of it because it is, uh, there is a GUI for it, but it is, I would say it's much more uh, robust when you're using the command line version. But I mean, it does everything. It saves me so much work. Your charts are generated automatically. You can export all those results to like a PDF, XML or CSV files. Let's say you have five graphics cards that you've tested you can normalize those results, right? And then automatically change those charts to see what the relative performance is. Ah, the Radeon 7 is 1.4x faster than the RX 590, for example. Are you allowed to say that? Oh, I was just I was just speculating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was just the number that I pulled out of out of thin air just now. I don't have those charts in front of me yet. In fact, I haven't benchmarked it on Linux yet. That's tonight. All right. Okay, so as a tech reviewer, this is very handy for you. But for the people listening and for me, what value can we get out of Phronics Test Suite? Well, imagine you want to upgrade your laptop or even upgrade uh, maybe just your 
graphics card, right? So let's say, let's say for example, since I've got a couple XPS uh, 13s sitting here in the office, let's say that you've got a three, four-year-old XPS 13 and you want to know, you're thinking about buying the new XPS 13 that uh, was recently released, the developer edition with Ubuntu on it, right? There may not be reviews out there specifically pitting those two laptops against each other. You might have a comparison with the last generation or the, you know, second to last generation. But maybe you want to know what kind of performance uplift I'll get with things like Blender or with, you know, various CPU tasks or, you know, kernel compilation and things like that. So you can just search the database at openbenchmarking.org, find any number of benchmarks that have been used with that new XPS 13 and with a single command, you can just copy paste it into your terminal and it will run like if it's 40 benchmarks, it will just run all of those benchmarks on your older XPS with the same settings and the same exact environment. And so therefore you'll know exactly how much performance benefit you're going to get. You'll know exactly how it's going to measure up. And it's not just CPU. You can look at blog bench or you know various suites that test your disk read-write performance, your, your network performance, your memory. Um, it's incredibly robust how much you can do. And so that's why, that's why I think there's a value to people outside of the reviewer community, because you can look at exactly what your use case is going to be with your hardware and your Linux distribution and get the results. You don't even have to try to decipher what those results are. It just it gives you a nice, clean chart. I suppose another use would be troubleshooting as well. If you think that your system is somehow not performing as it should be, you can compare it with a very similar system on openbenchmarking.org and see, okay, well, hang on, my graphics card must be dying or my CPU or something like that. Yeah, exactly, you can. Uh, you can, you know, you can find not only your particular model of Intel Core i5, but then also cross compare that with, you know, a gaming benchmark or that processor on a ThinkPad or on a Dell or what have you. So yeah, you can really get down into the weeds and it's, it's a lot of fun just to, for example, you can type in Pharonix Bench Suite Interactive and it will then give you a menu of options It'll say, okay, list all the available tests that I could possibly do, or recommend some tests based on my system, or let's, let's run a suite, or create your own suite. So I've created these suites where it will be all Vulkan. It'll be just, you know, Vulkan synthetic benchmarks and Vulkan games, and it'll run it 10 of these tests at once, and I just, I just go to sleep and wake up to it in the morning. You know what I find really interesting about this is that it was Michael at Phronix who created the Phronix test suite, as the name implies. And he is essentially a competitor to you in terms of the journalism, right? And he is helping his competitors by having this open source benchmarking software. And uh, you just would only get that with open source, wouldn't you? I never looked at it like that, but he really is, that he could have turned that into a proprietary tool for himself and been able to pretty much dominate the, you know, the Linux review landscape, because there's not a lot of that as it is, correct me if I'm wrong, 
there's not a lot of people on the web doing very, uh, you know, hardcore technical benchmarks and analysis on Linux. No, it's YouTube, and I'm sure there's quite a lot of people on YouTube and stuff. But yeah, I suppose there's not a huge amount of competition. But yeah, he could have just kept that to himself, couldn't he? He could have, no, it wouldn't have even necessarily been proprietary because he would have just never released it. But instead, he did the open source thing and put it out there for anyone to use, which is really cool, isn't it? It really is. And I can't imagine what the personal benefit to him would be other than just satisfaction of giving something back to the community and helping the Linux community at large have this great tool that they otherwise wouldn't have had because reviewing stuff on Linux is hard <laughs> because there are, there are so few tools as it is um, for you know measuring like average frame rates and keeping track of the thermals and the power consumption and things like that. Pharonix Test Suite does all that as well. It's not intuitive out of the gate, but the documentation is good. And there's a forum, and Michael is always in that forum replying to people and helping people out. So it's a win. It's really a win for everyone. And I would encourage people to try it out. Just tinker with it. Have a little fun. See what your system is capable of. See how it stacks up against other systems. However, here's a small tip. Do not download it from your uh, distribution's software center. Because I've noticed in places like uh, Ubuntu, it's several versions old. So we'll put a link in the show notes that'll take you right to the Pharonix Test Suite download page. And there's, you know, there's uh, ways to compile it from source. There's deb files and a few other ways to install it based on your distribution. Yeah, that is often the case with software like this, especially in an Ubuntu LTS. You're not going to get the very latest version. And it's very important to have the latest version of this. So follow the link in the show notes and get the latest one. Okay, so another thing that you've been up to is another one of these distro challenges, this time something completely different from elementary OS, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. How have you been getting on with that? <laughs> you said it, completely different. These two Linux distributions, for me, could not be more opposite from each other. <laughs> well, yeah, because elementary OS is based on the Ubuntu LTS, whereas OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is a rolling release, and it's got nothing to do with Ubuntu. It's got nothing in common with it. it. You're right, it pretty much couldn't be more different. Yeah, so when I decided we're going to make this challenge a series, a recurring thing, a lot of people suggested to get even further out of my comfort zone for the second challenge. So I thought, all right, let's give OpenSUSE Tumbleweed a chance because it's a rolling release. I'm going to use KDE Plasma instead of GNOME or Pantheon. It's just going to be a completely different experience, a complete U-turn from elementary OS. And it has been eye-opening and educational and a little bit frustrating, but that's mainly for me, it's down to not being at all familiar with this distribution. Well, it's been a while since I've tried this, so I'm coming to it with somewhat fresh eyes. I installed it, well, I actually accidentally installed the 32-bit version because I was very tired, <laughs> <laughs> and that just didn't work for some reason. Uh, so then I, last night, downloaded the 64-bit version and installed that, and the first thing that struck me was 
how different the installer is in terms of how long it takes. With Ubuntu or one of the derivatives, it's so quick with the Ubiquiti installer. I can have a machine installed, updated, rebooted, ready to go in maybe 10 minutes, whereas with this, obviously it's a tumbleweed, you're looking at more like half an hour probably. Yeah, and in my experience, 10 minutes to get something like Ubuntu installed is generous. I mean, it's normally, you know, five or six minutes with a nice speedy um, SSD. Yeah. The installer for OpenSUSE did take a while, but I also noticed it's what, 4.3 gigabytes? Yeah, the ISO is pretty big. It is. It's almost double the size. And I, I've, you know, coming in completely blind, as I like to do, you know, diving into the fire blind, I had no idea why. But once I started playing with KDE Plasma and, and starting to look around for the typical set of software that I normally install, I started to figure out why. Because it's all there. Yeah, it even had wine and stuff. It had wine. <laughs> and this was amazing to me because that's always part of the process. When I install a new distribution, okay, I have to install wine. I have to add repositories to be able to install something like Lutris. I have to install something like TLP for power management with, with my laptops. All that stuff was so fast. TLP was included. And I noticed that it was just sipping power on my XPS 13. I've never had the kind of battery life with elementary or Ubuntu that I've had with OpenSUSE so far. And being able to just, you know, zipper inst- or pseudo zipper install Lutris. And it was just there. I didn't have to add a repository. And I was up in gaming within minutes. And, you know, the office suites are there. And there's just so much software. And KDE, Joe, KDE Plasma. I know you're not a fan. Well, that's not fair to say I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's not my favorite, but I certainly prefer it over GNOME, no doubt. See, I'm torn there. I, I felt like a kid in a candy store coming into OpenSUSE Tumbleweed after elementary OS. And that's not remotely me bashing on elementary. I, I described that as refreshingly restrictive. Whereas Plasma is completely the opposite. You can just change anything you want to. Oh, I know. I mean, I had, I had dark theme, you know, like that. I had different icons. I had KDE Connect synced up with my Android phone in minutes. Uh, I had widgets all over the place. Oh, system monitor, throw that up on the screen. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and I was, like I said, I was just enamored with all of the options. And I was having so much fun with this completely different approach to a desktop environment. Um, so I have to say, I am very happy that I chose the KDE version because I did not understand what all the fuss was about. And now I do kind of get it. For people who love to tweak and customize and just make it exactly what they want, I definitely see the appeal. But it is a little slow. Really? What, compared to Pantheon and Gnome then? Compared to Pantheon, not to, not to Gnome. Definitely slow compared to Pantheon. It's a no- it was a noticeable difference. Well, here's the thing. In my experience, OpenSUSE is slower than other distros. So it might well be the underlying distro rather than the Plasma desktop on top of it that's making it a bit slower. Ah, okay, okay. And you know what? That actually uh, takes us back to Phronix Test Suite. I was digging around earlier this morning, and I stumbled across a suite of tests that Michael himself had done. 
and he was comparing the um, power consumption of various distributions on a, I think, a XPS 9380, the, the brand new XPS 13. And OpenSUSE far and away had the most efficient power consumption, like by a landslide, just sipping power compared to um, all the other distros that he tried. But it also was way behind in performance for those benchmarks. Yeah, although I have spoken to Richard Brown, the chairman of OpenSUSE, about the speed of it before. And he said, when it comes to SUSE and OpenSUSE, they prioritize security and stability over performance. You know, if they had to pick between one or the other, they would always go for the security and stability. And that's why he says that it's not the fastest distro out there. But I mean, it's still faster than Windows in my experience. So, you know, it's not slow, slow, but just compared with, I don't know, something like Arch maybe, then it does seem pretty slow. And Ubuntu is kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe it's like a bit faster, but it's not as fast as some of the really optimized distros. That's what's been really interesting about doing all this distro hopping and these, you know, these challenges um, on the same piece of hardware is you really get sensitive to how long it should take for things to happen. Just one other one other note on the, the challenge side of it is just like with elementary, I have to I have to applaud this community that that just constantly surprises me. Richard Brown jumped into our Telegram group. The OpenSUSE Discord channel created a bridge to our Telegram group. So now you had all these people who are experiencing this for the first time being helped out by all of these veterans over at Discord. It has made a huge overall difference for all the people jumping into this for the first time. Yeah, that is pretty amazing that they would go to those lengths to uh, help you out. And not just you, I mean, you, the whole community of challengers. I don't really count myself in that community because... You're stuck in your ways. Well, yeah, and I've, <laughs> I've got serious work to do, man. You know, you've, you've got your other <laughs> machines that you do your serious work on. And really, to do your writing, all you need is a web browser, right? Or at least an office suite and a web browser. Right. Whereas to do the recording stuff that I need to do, I need solid distros that will actually work 100% of the time. So that's why I can't throw things on my main rig. But I do have this test laptop that I put stuff on, and I did give it a fairly good go last night. But speaking of the community, how did you find that compared with the elementary community then? That is an interesting question. There's a noticeable difference between the people participating in the elementary challenge and the OpenSUSE challenge. And some of those have carried over, by the way. A lot of people you know, just jumped from one to the next. Overall, the conversations this time around are a lot more hardcore. They're more technical. There's people really digging into the weeds and um, talking about how to execute certain, you know, troubleshooting tips and do everything in the terminal, extolling the the virtues of Zipper versus something like Apt. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of enthusiasts already who are in there, but. I have found that the people taking this challenge are definitely not, uh, for the most part, definitely not Linux noobs. Yeah, I don't think OpenSUSE Tumbleweed is really suitable as someone's first distro. I wouldn't recommend it. Maybe Leap, which is their regular release version, which is a more traditional release model like Ubuntu with the snapshots, effectively. But yeah, a rolling release, I don't think... That too much can break with it, I think, is the problem. 
And you did come into a bit of that breakage, didn't you? I did. I did. Um, it was about four days into the challenge. And all of a sudden, I got a notification on the desktop. 2,189 packages are ready to update. <laughs> and I thought, what? There's, there's 2,000 packages on here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you can call it uh, being naive or, or not thinking or whatever you want to say is fine. But I clicked that notification and I opened up Discover and I clicked Update All. And suddenly things were a little bit broken. I could get to certain websites, but not to others. My network was in and out. And so I went to the Telegram group. Hey, did you guys see that massive distribution upgrade that they just pushed out? They were like, yeah, man, make sure you use Zipper to upgrade. Don't use Discover. Don't use the GUI at all. It will break things. (laughs) And I said, uh, I started it 15 minutes ago in Discover. And they're like, oh, man. So, yeah, uh, I had to do a little bit of cleaning up. Now, on the bright side, Joe, the really cool thing is that I was using uh, ButterFS and it was doing snapshots. So you were able to roll back then? So I was able to roll back like minutes before I had done that upgrade. And I just rolled it back, I rebooted, and then I did the upgrade via zipper and it was flawless. Not fast, but it was flawless. But you wouldn't have known to do that without the support of the community. Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't have had a clue. And I don't like to get real critical about these things, but I will say if you know that a certain update method is going to break things, should that update method be there in the first place? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. And it's not as if Tumbleweed is sort of hidden away on the OpenSUSE website. It's their equal billing with Leap. And it's sort of billed as... An everyday operating system. It does say for developers, but also just for desktop users. And for such a fundamental thing like this to break it, it just doesn't seem good to me. I mean, Richard always goes on about OpenQA, which is their automated QA testing Mm -hmm. software. And you think, well, surely someone should have tested this. I just don't really understand how this can happen, really. It's not a good look for them. I mean, it's good that they were able to sort it out for you and, you know, the ButterFS snapshots and everything make it so that it doesn't ultimately matter that much. And I suppose that's probably the defense there. But it does go to show that this is not for new users. It's for experienced users who know about how to fix their system when it goes wrong. Yeah, very true. And minutes after I went through this process, um, I did notice a few people on Twitter who were also taking the challenge they were like, uh, Jason, what's going on? <laughs> and I said, Hey, it's it's cool. Here's the you know here's the link in Telegram. Here's how to fix it. And we helped each other out. And maybe you know maybe I'm not the type of person who would be using this distribution anyway. And your average tumbleweed user would have known better. Sure, that's 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 understandable. But um, I will say my takeaway from this so far is that I've I feel like I'm inching a little bit closer to understanding what makes the perfect Linux distribution for me. I love I love the customization aspect of KDE Plasma. I love having all those tools that I normally rely on, that I normally appreciate, TLP and Wine and things like that being built in. But I also love sort of that 
distraction-free, clean, elegant environment of elementary. So I think the more that um, the more I try, and the more I see these challenges through the community's eyes as well, I think I might get closer to finding, I guess, my forever distro. Hmm. I wonder what you'll go for then, because plasma and Pantheon are so different. Well, you do you know you know what I'll have to I'll just make my own. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> how it goes. Or you could just do the sensible thing and use XFCE like me. I don't know. That's just too boring. <laughs> Fair I'm enough. sorry. It's just too boring. Yeah. I take it you're not going to stick around on Tumbleweed after the challenge is over. Actually, I'm going to give it another two weeks. Oh, interesting. I think what I'm going to do from here on out is we can call it a two-week challenge if if people want to do that, but I want to spend a month with it. Yeah, I think you do have to spend a bit more than two weeks if you really want to get to the heart of it. Yeah, because just when I started to to understand what I found so compelling about elementary and and really starting to get used to the workflow and the shortcuts, then it was it was time to move on to something else. And so I think letting it breathe for a little while longer is is the sensible thing to do. So I don't know if I'll stick with it or not. I can tell you that at the moment, I want to go back to elementary. Well, I was going to ask you about that as a kind of follow-up from the last challenge. You do have elementary still installed on another machine, don't you? I did. I left it there on purpose, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Once I started to get out of that mindset of having to tweak things and just accepting this is the environment that's been laid out for you and there is a reason for it, I started to really get a lot done. <laughs> I was writing like a madman. I was um, just getting so much accomplished because it w everything was truly out of my way. And yeah, I, I, I couldn't... Um, I didn't really do any gaming on it, but maybe that's a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I was getting used to the shortcuts, the workflow, the workspaces, and it just felt, it started to feel very comfortable. Excellent. Well, I foresee you using it long term. From what you've said about it, I think you're pretty enamored with Pantheon and Elementary OS generally, so I could see you switching over to it. But what about Pantheon on Fedora? Perhaps the next challenge, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> There's so many, so many possibilities. Yeah, who knows what that next distro is going to be, but no doubt we'll be talking about it on this show. And if you want to hear us talking about that and various other things that Jason has discovered, then go to chooselinux.show slash subscribe and you'll see links there to iTunes and the RSS feed and various other podcast players and services. Yeah, and there's also a contact page at chooselinux.show where you can get in touch with both of us. Let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what you want to hear. Anything, uh, anything you'd like to talk about, just hit that contact link and send us a note. Yeah, or you can just go directly to chooselinux.show slash contact. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I am at killyourfm. And I'm at Joe Ressington. We'll be back in two weeks with more exciting discoveries then. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. See you later. See you later.